Good morning. Hey, take out your Bibles if you've got them. We'll turn over to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue, kind of pick up uh, where we were last week. We're looking at the Gospel of Promise, part 2. This passage is incredible. This passage in Galatians chapter 3, actually verses 1 through 14, is kind of a, it, it stands together. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 9. Today we'll look at the, the next five verses, 10 through 14. But it's a statement. There, you know, there have been issues in the, the church at Galatia, and the issues were this, that there were some, some Judaizers, and they were basically people who were trying to make Christian, Christianity into kind of a Jewish-flavored thing. And they were saying to people who were converting and coming, they were saying, look, yeah, you can come and be a part of the promise and be a part of the community, but you're going to have to uh, keep the law too. You're going to have to, and they would have a list of stuff for them to abide by. You have to keep this, you have to do that, you have to be circumcised. And, and so Paul is trying to address the, that in this passage and say, now, wait a second. Let's not be so quick to tell the Gentile believer what it's going to look like for them. And even the Jewish believer, let's not be so quick to tell them what it's going to look like. Let's go back to Scripture and make sure Scripture is our authority. So Ephesians chapter 3, if you don't mind, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 all the way down through verse 14, all right? Here we go. Galatians 3, 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. For those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. (coughs) 
Father, we ask for help this morning to understand your word and to apply it rightly to our lives. We desire to know what your word teaches. We desire to love your son more. We desire to see how from beginning to end you desire to bring the Gentiles into the promise and you love us. We praise you for that truth. That those who know you as Lord and Savior in this room, we are not some kind of plan B. We are not an afterthought. We're not a... uh, Come lately to the party, Lord, we, your love was expressed through Christ in such a way as to, to bring hope to the whole world, and we praise you for that. Help us, Lord, to have such a, a thankfulness in our heart that uh, we continually um, obey you because of gratitude and love you because of what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So next Sunday night, we will indeed share a little bit about Mexico and the trip that we took, but sometimes you do not have the right tool to do the job, right? So this one day, they wanted us to mix concrete, and so we were entertained by this, but we don't know what we're doing. We don't know. So we've got a shovel, and we're, you know, and they're trying to teach us how to do it. So, the, you know, you, you're kind of doing it wrong, and you're pushing it the wrong direction, and they're showing you. And so the first batch of concrete that we made, the top, like, four inches was not too bad. But underneath, it was, like, all dry. So we started dumping it in, and they're like, no, nah, yeah, that's not, you know, try again. So we go back, working on the second batch, and we get it a little bit better. And by about the fourth or fifth, you know, wheelbarrow full, They took the shovels out of our hand. And they're like, you know, you're only going to be here for a couple hours. Just never mind. So we were entertained by that. But we were entertained all the more when just about half an hour later, we're walking the property, and we see this beautiful, shiny cement mixer. And we say to the guy, you got a cement mixer. Why are you having us over there trying to figure this out? And he said, oh, no, that job... That's way too small for the cement mixer. We only bring the cement mixer out for big jobs, right? <coughs> then we get back to the, a, a different place, and we're, we're, we're uh, asked to dig di- a ditch. It's a, over a 100 feet long ditch, and it's got to be like three and a half feet down. It could be done with that job in like 15 minutes. No. It's, it's all rock, and it's all clay, and it's all difficult and you don't have the right tools for the job. And so you're picking, and you're, you're using like a hoe to, to, to move things around, and you're using like a, like a sod cutter to scrape stuff off down in this hole. It's just all the wrong stuff, doing all the wrong jobs. Sometimes if you persist, you can get a job done with the wrong tool. But sometimes the wrong tool means you're not going to get the job done. That's where we are in this passage today where Paul is trying to teach the the Galatian church what is the role of works and what is not the role of works. What What is the role, in more particular, what is the role of the law? What is it supposed to do and what is it not supposed to do in your life 
and in my life. And so we start in verse 10 and take a look at what the law is supposed to do and what it's not supposed to do. Galatians 3.10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And we come to our first point already. Number one, the law cannot save. His first point here is to point out to you and me that no one can keep the law perfectly. That's what he is saying here. He's saying, you know, if you start on the law, and we're, we're on number one, the law cannot save. If you start down the road of trying to keep the law, you're going to wear yourself out. There are 613 Old Testament laws, and if you start down that road of thinking you're going to keep it, you're going to do it, you're going you're to make it, you're, you're going to start a works process trying to make yourself righteous, trying to, to uh, um, objectively make God know that you are justified and you are good and you are right in his presence. And it's going to be this never-ending cycle of you working and working and working harder and harder to try to get God's approval. Paul is particularly addressing this question today, how do we enter into and remain in right relationship with God? And the church at Galatia was trying to say, it's going to be through works. You're going to have to do the law. The law is going to get you into right relationship with God. The law is going to keep you in right relationship with God. And Paul is saying, you guys should know the Old Testament. In fact, he, he points out Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. So this is the first of his Old Testament teachings here where he's saying to the, uh, the Pharisees and, the, and the, excuse me, the Judaizers, he's telling them what they should already know. Deuteronomy 27, there are 12 curses associated with, with the law. Cursed is the man who, who carves an image. So if you break the law, you're cursed. Cursed is the man who dishonors father and mother. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary line. And he winds up the 12th curse. He says, cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. And his first point is, nobody can keep all of the law. You can't do it. Guys, if you are setting yourself out and you have, are making a bunch of rules in your life and you think that those rules are somehow gaining the pleasure and attention and the acceptance of a holy God, you and I, when we do that, we're just wrong. It cannot be done. You won't get God's favor by what you do. And his whole point there is to say, no one can do that. Rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. And so in essence, he's saying here, you've got rules and you've got rules. Don't worry about this relationship thing. And eventually those rules will push you to try the boundaries of the rules. If you're raising kids, rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. And when it comes to the law, rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. The highest divorce rate among uh, Christians is in denominations that teach and preach law. In other words, that are very legalistic or worried about right and wrong, and, or excuse me, about do's and don'ts. And, and the, the emphases of those churches and that mindset, that's where we have the highest divorce rate among Christians, where it's all about the rules. 
And so he's saying here in Deuteronomy chapter 27, nobody can keep the law. But he goes on from there, at verse 10, um, as we've started out, we've, excuse me, back in, sorry, I'm in verse 10, way back in uh, Deuteronomy. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. That's, that's a, a curse situation. You see, he's making a distinction between the kinds of people who are trying to rely on the law and then look back at verse 9 because there's another kind of person that he's kind of comparing us to. Verses 1 through 9 last week ended up with verse 9 saying, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. And that's kind of a phrase he used, the those who have faith kind of people. And now he is doing a comparison with the those who rely on the law kind of people of verse 10 through 14. So we're kind of looking today at the those who rely on the law kinds of people. They're, they're under a curse. The, the law is not the right tool for that job. The law was never intended to bring us into a right relationship with God. I have friends who want to make the Old Testament about justice and legalism and, and law and the New Testament about grace and love. And Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 totally destroys that mindset. Because in this passage, it's saying, look, you teachers of Israel, if you know the Old Testament, you should know that the law brings a curse. It has no power to save anybody. And if you work and you work and you work, you're not going to be able to keep it perfectly or keep it fully. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks in Galatians uh, chapter 3 in, uh, in verse 24 that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That is, the law is a good gift. It's like a school. And a school in the Old Testament of knowing, Torah is good, right? The law is not evil, it's just a curse. The law teaches us about who God is. The law guides us in the way that we should go. It instructs us. And it brings us, by God's grace, to the place where we understand that keeping it is not a possibility. And even if we could keep it, we're going to look at that in just a second, it's not going to gain us favor with him forever. It's not going to make us right in his presence. So God is good to give us the law. And don't hear me saying today, forget the law, the law is, is bad. His point here is to say that the law can't bring you into right relationship or keep you in right relationship with God forever. But once we are in right relationship with God, certainly the law has a place, and we'll look at that as well. So no one can keep the law perfectly. The second thing he wants us to see, though, in verse 11 <clears throat> Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. So again, if his first kind of point is, look, no one can keep the law perfectly, his second point is, is really, even if you could keep the law perfectly, that's not the right tool for that job. It's not going to get it done. It is supposed to be a schoolmaster, a, a way of learning about yourself and about life where you finally come to the point where you say, if I'm going to need righteousness to be in, if I'm going to need to be holy to be in God's presence, I am not going to be able to earn that and make that happen myself. 
even if you could keep the law, it's not a system designed to do that because the law is powerless. Remember what James said? James chapter 2, verse 10. If you keep the law in every point and yet stumble in just one point, you become guilty of the whole thing. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is addressing what the law is all about and what holiness before God is all about. And he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying here is even if you could keep the law better than the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, you'd still need another brand of righteousness. Their brand of righteousness and keeping keeping the law and working at it, it, that's not going to be good enough. And if you're going to follow their pattern, you're going to need another brand of righteousness altogether. So you can't keep the law perfectly, and even if you could keep the law perfectly, you could not earn your way to heaven because you are guilty and I am guilty of of sin. And Jesus is just underscoring that. Listen, it's just simply the law is the wrong tool for justification. It's the wrong tool. So how do we, how do you and I go about observing the law? Or how do we, we enter into this relationship with Jesus by the power of the Spirit, and then we back off, and two or three and ten years down the road, we look around and go, now wait a second, am I continuing to live by faith? Or have I reduced my Christian experience and, and the, my thought about how I'm saved, my thought about my relationship with God, have I just reduced that to a list of do's and don'ts? I jotted down a few thoughts about how I make my relationship with God into something that I can quantify, all right? Here's a couple things I wrote down. Maybe you can kind of add your own to the list. Church attendance. I go to church. Hey, listen, part of the, you know, whatever, called out ones of God, show up on Sundays, I'm there all the time. I have actually had conversations with people in the midst of, of tremendous difficulty in their life and ask them about a a loved one, do you think that they know God? Listen, here's the question. Do you think they know God? Sometimes the answer is, well, they go to church. Okay. That's That's not knowing God. That's not the righteous will live by faith kind of answer. And sometimes just showing up here, guys, I mean, if we, if we are holding on to showing up at church on a regular basis, now listen, this is a great place to be. I don't mean to dissuade you from coming to church. I, I, not at all. But if I trust my work of showing up at church to prove to God that I'm somehow sincere and that that should be enough for him to kind of owe me something, 
I'm kidding myself. External appearances. Sometimes we come here, we don't talk about the stuff that we really struggle with. We kind of cover that over. We don't want to be honest about things we, we are going through or struggling with. And so if the first thing, church attendance, was about feeling right, then the second thing, this external appearances, my life is fine, I'm good, it's kind of about looking right. And I kind of I make that my law. Because if I can feel right and look right and make people believe that I feel right and look right, but the law cannot save. And the last thing, we, we just are right. You know, scriptural knowledge. I know the scriptures. I know the right answer. In small group, when we open up the Bible, I always have a passage to refer to or a right answer to the question. And so I am right. I can prove my point. You know, Thanksgiving is coming up. If you walk into your Thanksgiving feeling right and looking right and being right, you, you might be, you know, that uncle. You might be that guy that everybody's like, oh boy. This is the self-righteous one. This is the one by law who's coming in. But listen, law can't save you. It wasn't designed to save you. It has no power to save you. And if you're at that place where you're trusting something other than the faith you have in the work that Christ did, then you're in a world of of hurt. And that's where we get to the next thing that he mentions again back in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. It's that the righteous will live by faith. He's referring to Habakkuk 2.4. His point is that the law curses us. Cursed is the one. Cursed is the one who enters into the 613 laws and keeps doing them, doing them, doing them, doing. But blessed is the one, and he is saying, the righteous will live by faith. And it's interesting in Habakkuk 2, it doesn't say faith and works. And that's his point. The righteous will live by faith alone. One we, we, the, another way we might understand this is that the, the one who is righteous by faith will live. So believing God. And his point is, guys, Gentiles are not this add-on that we, we kind of make go through a, a gauntlet, and if he does enough of the Jewish laws, he gets in. It's not that way at all. From the beginning, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and now the Gentiles, just like Abraham believed, the Gentiles believe, can believe as well, and we don't add something to the way, they, they come, the way that they come to faith. The righteous will live by faith. And that promise didn't even start with Abraham. Last week, remember, we talked about um, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, that through you, Abraham, there will be a seed. And that seed will be a blessing to people of all nations. But if we back it up even more, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, when God appears to Eve and says, your seed will crush the head of Satan. Now, he will bruise, Satan will bruise his heel, but Christ, your seed, will crush his head. And all through the Old Testament, it's not been about works. It's been about belief that God is faithful and that he will send his Messiah. The righteous will live by by his faith. So here's the next thing that you and I might do. Okay, let's make this about faith and works. You know, we can, we can compromise. It's faith and works 
that we can kind of pull together. So look at verse uh, 12. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. And so here is the point. If you are doing the law, you don't need faith. If you are doing the law, you don't need Jesus. I mean, why did Jesus Christ come to this earth, die a death, if you can earn your salvation by going to church and looking good and knowing right answers? I mean, I don't need faith if I have works. And that's Paul's point here, is that if you trust works, then you don't need faith. And so he refers here to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. And in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5, the scriptures simply say this, Keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Now, that sounds really positive, doesn't it? But here are the two negative parts of that. It's the doing, again, and it's the keeping. And you didn't keep doing them, and you and I didn't keep them. So the idea is we entered into this covenant relationship with God where he says, if you keep doing them, you'll be fine. And none of us has kept doing them. We have all broken the eternal covenant that God made with us. We're all guilty of that. And that means we're all in a position rightly being cursed by God. No one can keep the law perfectly. And so doing it time and time and time again, again, is not only not going to get the job done, it wasn't even intended to get the job done. Your understanding of this gospel is crucial in every part of your life. And it's crucial for me in every part of my life. How we see ourselves. Do you see yourselves as this person who is so broken and if you just work long enough and hard enough that you can make it up to God? Some of us see ourselves over here. We are so broken and we see how much we owe God and we feel so depressed and discouraged because we could never pay it back to him. And if that's where you are today, I'm here to announce to you the law cannot save God's not about you trying to pay it back. God's not about you trying to clean yourself up. God is not about you trying to make it up to him. God is about seeing you in your brokenness with no power and no strength. And he has not added 613 laws on top of you. He has taken those laws and the curse of the law and placed it on his son Jesus so that you don't have to uh, uh, be under the weight of the expectations of the law any longer. You don't have to work it and work it and work it and try to prove it to him. You don't have to make it up to him because Christ himself has done that. Do you see yourself that way? Just simply because God wanted to, he has made you the object of his love and affection. He cares so deeply for you that he saw you in the midst of your trouble five years ago and ten years ago and in your growing up days. And he saw the people who would have hurt you or, or used you or, or 
pointed their words at you. He saw you in the midst of your trouble and your anxiety and your, your fleshiness. He saw you in the midst of how volatile you are and how you're barely holding on. And he didn't add a burden. He removed a burden. And he said, I'm going to reach into that person's life and pluck them out and make them mine because I love them. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need someone who can go and pay for their sins. And we're going to see in just a minute, it was all about Jesus. But when you understand yourself from the, the, the lens of the gospel, you can see yourself and your life in a whole other way. You don't have to, listen, there's nobody in this room that we look to and say, now that's the example of the way everyone should be. We don't do that. Because when we're in the gospel, we can stop comparing ourselves to one another. All of us say together with one voice, you don't have to do it right now, but we say together with one voice, we look to Jesus. He is the standard. He is the one who did all of the work. None of us can add something to that. Now, do we work together? Yeah. Do we figure out what our gift is and use it? Yeah. But nobody is comparing themselves to someone else in this room because your gift is not my gift. And your gift is used in a profound way that's incredible. And so we don't have to compare ourselves when Christ is the center of what we do how we see ourselves, how we relate to others, how we talk and think about the gospel. Guys, when your neighbor comes up to you and talks to you about what makes you different, I understand that you leaving, you know, dressed decently Sunday morning at, at 11 or 10.30 or 10 o'clock from your house is, is an opportunity for your neighbor to see you go to church, okay? Nothing wrong with that. That's great. They know you go to church. But you're going to church on Sunday morning is not the content of your Christianity. You, you come here, hopefully, just because you love to be with these people, but you are changed by believing God, by believing that we were his enemy. In, Galatia, in Genesis chapter 2, we made ourselves his enemy, and in Genesis chapter 3, he said, I promise I'll take care of it. And in believing the promise of God, step by step until the cross, and now we look back and we say, we believe that Christ is the, the Messiah, the promised one of old. He's the only hope we have. And we don't have to make God happy. Right? Because God's happy in what Christ has done. And so we, make, we please God. How? By having faith. It is impossible to please God without faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. We consider Paul himself at this point. You know, Paul, uh, taking a look over at Philippians chapter 3. He, he talked about the nature of righteousness, and he talked about the nature of the law in his life. So uh, Philippians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul is talking. He's, he's also the person that wrote what we've been reading so far, right? He, he, he says this, though, in Philippians 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for me. Watch out for those dogs. By the way, he's dealing with the same people in Philippians that he's dealing with in Ephesians. The same people who would try to um, make circumcision the only way that you can come into the faith. 
He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, if anyone could trust the law, it's me. And I don't trust it one bit. It's untrusting because it's the wrong tool. It's not the job that was supposed to make us righteous. Instead, it's a tool that shows us that we are unrighteous. Only Christ can redeem, number two, and he did. Christ redeemed. He was the only one who could. And so we look now at verse 13 as we continue in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a, who's hung on a tree. So guys, we we were in this relationship with God. We entered into this covenant. We immediately broke the covenant, and we stand as guilty. And so we can't keep the covenant any longer, and we are now cursed. We are cursed. The law is just an ongoing statement to us that we can't measure up. We can't do it. We can't meet the expectations of it. We have failed. The Jewish mind has a very difficult time understanding Christ. The word Christ is anointed one, Messiah, and then hung on a tree or cursed. Now, if we were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 23, verse 23b, we would see that cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. This is now his third Old Testament reference. Let me remind you what he's doing is all of these Jewish leaders are coming in and saying you should convert to Judaism before you can be saved. And he is taking their scripture, he is taking the scripture, the Old Testament, and saying, guys, if you're teachers in Israel, you should understand this stuff. You should understand that the Messiah was cursed. He became a curse for us. The law and its demands were a curse, and Jesus took on him the curse that I earned, 
right? That is exactly what it's talking about. In the Old Testament, when someone um, died, sometimes they would um, be put to death by means of like capital punishment. They would be stoned, usually stoned. And sometimes to make an example of the person for whatever reason, they would literally take the, the dead body and put it in a, up on a tree to make a statement to everybody about why that person died. But usually what would happen would be by nightfall, they would take the body down and put it away, and, and the point you know, was that you know, the, the cursing of that person, is, it's over. All right? we've, we've, we get it, so let's, let's move on. And they didn't leave the body on the tree uh, overnight. Now, Paul uses that statement, though, in, in Deuteronomy to say, now, do you notice that Jesus was hung on a tree? Do you notice that he, he wasn't killed and then put on the tree as a public display? He says in, in Galatians chapter 3, he was before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, this is verse 1, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He hung on a tree. He, he took the curse that you deserved and, and then he gave you the blessing that he earned. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, so, this, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. And did you see what's happening in this amazing, amazing exchange? That the curse that you and I earned goes to Jesus. And the blessing that he had and earned goes to you. And there's nothing you can do to change that accounting if you're in Christ Jesus. You can understand it. You can love it. You can examine it. You can celebrate it. You can show a a life of gratitude to God, but you can't add to it with your works. And indeed, anything that you or I would try to do to add to it would only subtract from it. It's his blessing transferred to you. It's your curse transferred to him so that you stand in right relationship to God forever. And glory be to our incredible, incredible Savior. He receives the the curse, and you receive the blessing. Jew and Gentile are saved together, all right? So number three, we're looking at this, and, and I want you to understand where we're coming at now. Okay, so Jew and Gentile are saved together, and that's really the point of this whole section. That, that, that salvation is available to all who believe in Christ Jesus, okay? He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham... Now, what is the blessing given to Abraham? The blessing given to Abraham was, was twofold but it was a promise. That's the thing we need to understand the most. It was a promise that through him and his seed, all of the world would be be blessed. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 say very clearly that through Abraham's seed, every people of every tribe and every tongue will be blessed, you and me. That was his plan from the beginning. The idea of bringing the gospel to Gentiles was not God's eternal, oops, whoops, 
plan B because the Old Testament didn't seem to work out. If you've, if you've ever, and I said it at the beginning and I say it now, but if you've ever you viewed the Old Testament as the testament of, of anger and law and, and toughness, and you viewed the New Testament as the testament of grace and love and kindness, I want to dispel all of those things. And Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, dispels those things when it says that from the very beginning, it was God's intention to bless the whole world through Abraham. And now the time has come. The whole world is blessed. And the blessing that the Gentiles receive is this, you and I, we don't have to jump through 613 hoops. We don't have to keep the law. He's not adding a hard, difficult burden to our already difficult, broken life. He is taking that burden away and saying, listen, I want you to do the same thing that Abraham did, and that's this. Believe my promise. Believe God. Take him at his word. Now listen, it goes against everything you want to believe as a, as a person, as a human. We want to make God happy. I want to say because I did A and B and C, God is happy with me. And I have no place to do that. And this entire passage is saying to me, if I count on my works to get me into or keep me in right relationship with God, that I am trying to use the wrong tool for the job because it's all about what Christ has done. God's promise from the beginning was to bless the whole world, all nations. Now look at this. Not only do we enter into this covenant and we have the blessing of Abraham, but secondly... Through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Look up in verse 1 of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? In verses 1 and 2, he's focused on Christ and us having the Spirit. And in verse 10 and 11, he's focused on, or excuse me, uh, 13 and 14, He's focused on Christ and us having the Spirit. Listen, the law cannot bring life and it's not powerful. And we as Gentiles are receiving not only the blessing of belief that we can believe as Abraham did, but we also get something that even Abraham didn't know. I mean, if you look back in in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15 when the promises are made to Abraham, there's no mention of Spirit. So we get the Spirit, and it's as if Paul is saying, we now know that the fullness of the inheritance that we get through Abraham is not only the believing, but it's the Spirit too. It's, and that means we don't have to go to Jerusalem for the presence of God. We have the presence of God in us. And we are uh, joint heirs with them. And we'll look more at the Spirit as we go to Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6 in the coming days. My friends, I believe that our understanding of the gospel like this uh, should, should put us in a position where we are doing really three things, that we are guarding our heart. Don't let yourself believe that you are earning the favor of God any place in your life. 
And don't think that you have done something that can eternally remove you from the favor of God. Don't think that you can tip the scales so that God cares more about you tomorrow than he does today. And don't think that you've tipped the scale too far the other direction that you can't receive the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart. Secondly, guard your mind. Understand these things. You and I, every minute of the day, realize you, we should be realizing that we are saved by believing Christ. We are saved by believing God. And that should be at the core of who we are. As we stop comparing and, and fights that we fight become lesser and lesser because we are held by God. And lastly, we guard the gospel. And when we talk to friend and neighbor about what it means to belong to God, we are not talking about praying a prayer when we were six. We're not talking about coming to this building on Sunday mornings. We are talking about the incredible miracle that a sinner like me can know the living God. You know him. If you do, it's not because you work hard enough. It's because you believe that the work that Christ did on the cross was sufficient for even you. Let's stand together for prayer. Lord, guard our hearts. It seems like as we walk longer with you, we sometimes make the gospel into something that it, it was never intended to be. Something we've done, a right answer where we, we hide portions of our life from people. And I pray that you'd release us from that. And as we go from this place, I pray that we would be enamored and amazed with the glory and grace and love that we've experienced by the living God of the universe who is not keeping record of all of our wrongs, but instead has made a way for those who will come to Jesus Jesus became a curse for us. He accomplished the law, lived it perfectly for us. He can give us the blessing that he is and take on him the curse that we've earned. And we look to him and him alone for help. And we, like Abraham, believe. We believe you. We praise you, Lord, that this was your plan from the beginning. And we have now seen with our own eyes the fulfillment of this plan. And we looked to you for the, the promises that you have yet to fulfill about a second coming, about a return of Christ, and about you setting all things in perfect order. And so, Lord, we look to you. We pray you dismiss us now from here with your blessing. In Jesus' name.